0: Again, how do you, how do you really deal with your own fans, the people you're representing, booing you?
1: I'm Neil Maggs and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. After a few weeks' rest following the Bristol mayoral elections, we are back talking to non politicians. After Priti Patel, Home Secretary, said of England fans booing taking the knee that it was okay and up to them. And she disagreed with gesture politics. This week, we talked to Rayon Wilson, a black performance coach from Bristol. He's worked with some of the leading players from the inner city that have gone on to be professional and indeed play in the Premier League, from Bobby Reed to Lloyd Kelly to Rolanda Arrans and many more. We talked to him about the booing of taking the knee, about the Euros itself, about grassroots football in the city and racism, and how far can England go in the European Championship? Hey Rayon, how you doing? Hey Magsy, I'm
0: good, thanks. How are you?
1: Very well, and you're you're in your um in your recording garage studio, is that right?
0: Yeah, tried to make a little bit of a man then. Um, so you know, use these times to have these kind of conversations, connect with people.
1: Great. To escape from the family. Yeah, I need one of them, really, to be honest. I, I'm under <laughs> my kid's bed at the moment recording this. Cool. Um, we, we, you're, you're somebody who is very well-known in local football in Bristol, but also at the elite kind of level for the work that you do at Back to Action. We're going to talk to you a bit later about some of the players you've worked with. So you've worked with local kind of legends such as Bobby Reid, Lloyd Kelly, Joe Bryan, Orlando Aarons. You've also worked with players from other professional clubs that have come in, like sort of Yannick Bellassi and and many others. You're at the moment in the middle of your um, back-to-action pre-season thing, which is like a pre-pre-season for professional footballers, yeah?
0: Yeah, we're in the first three weeks now, so we're in the third week. 30-odd boys and girls from across the UK currently do it. Usually we stretch into Europe, but because of all the COVID and everything, it's been a little bit harder to recruit or for people to travel. Uh, it's nice to see that we've got such a good, talented, and mixed group coming in.
1: And that that the word of what you do sort of just spreads word of mouth because obviously you've got well, like the last time I went down, I think it was a couple of years ago. You had players from Man United, from Tottenham, from Chelsea, as well as City, Rovers, and all the local clubs around here. How, how does how do people get the word out about it?
0: I mean, players talk, agents talk, businesses profile rises, and. We, we speak to clubs and, you know, we're a service that's here to help both players develop and help clubs develop their players or rehab their players. So it's kind of like within the industry, we create a little bit of noise and we make good friends and we push forward that way. So it's
1: probably like a player will go, oh, I had a brilliant time there. And he will say to another player, oh, you should check this thing out that I go to in Bristol Um you know, it, it's got me because a lot of people have reported. I remember talking to Bobby a while back and saying how, it, you know, what you do is you get players so they can hit the ground running at the start of pre season. You know, I remember, and I'm sure you do when, when you played, and we'll do a bit of reminiscing of our, of our times as well later, if you like, yeah. um, where you'd start pre season. I absolutely hated it. You know, like first month, just throwing up, being sick, having to lose about a stone and a half, and all that. But players don't do that now. Do they, they keep fit even when they're on holiday? And if they go to a camp like yours, they're just ready to hit go when they arrive on the first day at the training
0: ground. Yeah, I mean, like a, like a racing car, you kind of need to warm the tyres up before you actually start. It's kind of that kind of approach with any pro sport. You know, you have your pre-season where you're realigning yourself, understanding the manager's structure, their, the requirements, how the team's going to progress, understanding new signings, X, Y, Z. But, you know, one of the things that we neglect are ourselves. So now we provide a platform where players can go in, having started to develop on their own physical, psychological, and other strategic aspects just outside of the game itself
1: great uh, and your eyes are on now uh, as yeah. uh, as you know, I was going to talk to you about this before, but it's actually hit the press immediately today as we record that um pretty Patel has um come out and effectively made a statement on the uh, taking of the knee. England football fans were booing that. On Saturday, on Sunday rather, they got drowned out a bit by cheers by the rest of the fans. She has come out today and made a statement basically saying that it's gesture politics and is up to the fans if they want to boo. Um, for you then, what what what's your take on this? Is, um, and how do you think from your perspective as somebody who works closely with the players, how does it affect the players? How does it affect the black players in the England team at the moment when... They're trying to represent their country and their own fans are booing them.
0: Well, it's, it's, the reason they're taking the knee is because of representation anyway, isn't it? Um, and, you know, wherever you go, representation matters, whether it be for the nation you play for or whether it be the colour of your skin. You want to be widely accepted. I mean, let's look at three, four months ago when the fans weren't in stadiums. I don't know, were people booing just staring at their tv did they have that kind of energy there or are we just playing to the fact that we're now inside the stadium and we can do it um you know as a black man I find it quite distressing that if it was me going out there to represent my nation and also represent myself my color my culture that you would boo me for that and then you would cheer me when I score That like, <laughs> yeah, that's the
1: bit that's weird, isn't it? That's the bit that it's like, you know, you 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 you're booing somebody in in the as they take the knee, and if you score the winner, you're celebrated as a hero and all the people doing the booing don't seem to recognize that hypocrisy.
0: Yeah, I mean, Marcus Rashford has done some great work over the last year in supporting children from a variety of backgrounds um through to playing for his club and then through to representing the nation. Um are we now going to start booing him, bearing in mind his, the impact he now has?
1: Yeah, he was a national hero, wasn't he, like you know, a exactly. couple of months ago? Yeah. Are,
0: you, are you booing him because he's, he's standing up for being black and being a part of that movement? Mm. Are you Are you not? Like When we went away, and I can't remember the nation, but Tyrone Ming stood up and there was a load of monkey chants and XYZ, and Tyrone Ming stood up then and spoke. At that time, he was a hero for standing up. Now he decides to take the knee. We're going to boo him for it. How how are those actions any better than the people that are actually stood there and and, and, and actually chanting or saying somebody's words? You're actually encouraging it, in my opinion. You're, what you're not doing is standing by the representation that these guys want to count for something. They want acceptance.
1: It's is the is, uh, sorry to jump in. Is the is the um, I just want to read what Priti Patel said. So she said, uh, "I just don't support people participating in that type of gesture, gesture politics." to a certain extent as well. She's gone on to talk about, funny enough, a bit about Colston. And then she said that, when she was pressed about, would she boo taking Denise? She said, I've not gone to a football match to even contemplate that. So she's kind of fudged that question a little bit. But in effect, she's talking about gesture politics. So the counter argument, you know, which I have to give to you is that, and and this is doing the rounds at the moment, that this is twofold, really. One is that you can be anti-racist and stand against, racism and not take the knee I think there's been some controversy where some of the Scottish players haven't done or Scotland decided not to there have been some black players and other teams that have stood up and a thing around the not taking the knee so so for me there's two things with that one is I guess some people are saying well no 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 I just I just don't feel that I have to do a specific gesture the counter to that is why would you deliberately be obstinate. If you're in a room full of people and said let's let's take the knee or let's I don't know, let's 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 uh, go down on two knees or let's stand up as a gesture against racism and you went no 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 I don't want to do that but I'll do something else. Wh- what why would you even contemplate and think that? What goes through somebody's mind to be I guess contrary about it?
0: We live in this kind of open world now, don't we? So people I guess feel well, rightly so, they're, you know, they're entitled to their opinion or, or, or whatever not. But a lot of people then tend to, st- to sit on the fence. I mean, you mentioned the whole, oh, black players chose to not take the knee or to stand up or whatever their case may be. Um, I'll be brutally honest. How much pressure would it be for a black player to, ha- put, um, to take the knee when they played for Millwall and the Millwall fans did what they did not so long ago? It's a lot of pressure. Does anyone f- consider that black person in that situation? Just to throw uh, an example out there? Do you see what yeah, I mean? It's a really um, good point, because yeah. one black person doesn't just because one black person doesn't yeah. do it, does that mean that all black people now yeah. shouldn't do it? You should like how at At what stage not all we're not all the same, and not all people are the same, regardless of race, creed, kind of whatever you want to call it we 're not all the same, so you can't judge me because one person, Wilfred Zaha, decided to not take the knee for whatever reason okay i'll respect him for for, for his reasoning, but that doesn't stand by, doesn't, that doesn't that that doesn't stand by my stance on the representation, yeah,
1: sure, does that therefore mean that because obviously the the argument is that if you don't, or, or one of the arguments is, if you refuse to take the knee, by definition, you aren't supporting uh, black struggle, you aren't supporting the fight against racism, and therefore, by definition, you are racist. So a lot of people, like on Twitter, will say that, you know, like Millwall fans or people that are booing, they are refusing to take the knee, they're refusing to acknowledge it, they are racist uh, by by definition. Would you say that was true, or would you say that's a bit strong?
0: No, I'm not saying that's not true. Now like, people have their reasons. People have their reasons. Okay, I choose not to take. I, I choose not to take the knee today because I've had a knee operation. Am I racist? No. Do you know, and there'll be other reasons. I'm. My question is to war. As far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned, booing is okay. Right.
1: Okay. A form so It's not about the knee. Dislike. So booing is because I mean the whole, the whole, yeah, the whole point of booing something is saying I don't like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't like that. So my question is, what is it you don't like? You don't like the fact that I'm standing up for myself for being black or of color, or you don't like the fact that this movement is built up and there's representation across the globe. What is it you don't like? What is it about this action that causes you to boo? Now, on the back end of those thoughts, I'm going to ask you, okay, now we may be able to conclude whether somebody is racist or not because we don't know what the reason is that they're booing That They're booing at the action. And, and
1: but do you not think, so do, But do, yeah, great point, but do you not think, Rayon, and this is the reason that's been put out is that we're not doing it because we don't like Black Lives Matter because it's a Marxist organisation. The The players have come back and said, it's for, you know, for us it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with supporting the black cause. It's supporting anti-racism. It's supporting... Uh, challenging the, you know, challenging racism and all its forms. Um, so this whole kind of it, it's Marxist. We are, um, you know, we don't like black lives matter. But it's Mar- I, I'm going to push the boat out and say I guarantee, and you know, the, the the vast majority of people that are saying that have been told that, have heard that, have read it, and are parroting it, and probably know nothing about Marxism anyway. Yeah, in reality, maybe that, maybe this is a cover. Is this just a cover for the fact that you don't like black people? Just admit it. Just be honest.
0: It, and it it may well be, it may well not be, it may well be. Um, at the end of the day, how well educated are some of these people? I don't know. That's the truth. Am I going to judge them for that? No. I don't want to be goaded if it was me taking the knee because of your lack of knowledge and you just, you, you know, your interpretation of this is some people's interpretation of COVID. Like, let's not make this into some big conspiracy there's been a there's been significant impact there's been evidence of significant events which have drawn this action that people are now standing and speaking about whether it be black lives matter taking the knee, solidarity x y or z um if people actually look into it and go back as to where these actions actually began and first started to come. If we look yeah. into the Olympics, did, did he get booed then?
1: Yeah. No. I mean, I think that's a key point. And one of the interesting things I think is that you have, you've always had, a, particularly with England fans, as, as we both know, there's always been a, an element of the far right um, that have kind of been involved in supporting England home and certainly away. We also know that's a case at Millwall, where um, there was a strong, you know, booing and I think one of the most sort of vocal responses to the players taking the knee at club level. Um, This whole, it's a performative gesture, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organisation that wants to defund the police and wants to take away my British rights and institutions and stuff like that. It, It feels to me that that's just convenient cover for people that are probably feeling a bit uncomfortable and are a bit threatened by the movement and the increasing challenging of the system and the increase in black empowerment that is taking place not just in this country but across the world because the reality is the most people that are booing i put money on the table now you know and you know it's where i come from as well Mm -hmm. but you know it's and we're we're connected to that world a lot of them are probably i would say more white working class people i think that maybe for them they feel uh what for whatever reason just threatened by this and my, my, my question is, I guess, is how can we make it not feel
0: threatening? Not many people are built for uncomfortable conversations, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, and because of that, <laughs> it's a threat immediately, right? You say to somebody, oh, go to college. They become uncomfortable with that part of learning or learning something new or um, taking on new information. So you ask them to understand Black people, black people struggle or black culture. That's going to be immediately uncomfortable. It's foreign to them. Um, would they boo? Let's let's take it back to football. If Marcus Rashford went and scored the winner in the Euro final and England won the Euros, and then he took the knee, that's a would great they boo? Question, yeah. What
1: would, they, would they? do? Cheer? They wouldn't know what to do. Would they? <laughs> they'd be caught in between two things. Like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> <laughs> it's caught in two minds here, scratching your yeah.
0: heads. What do I do? Yeah. What if do I just, do? Like, Maybe you should do a that.
1: You like, should do that. What? I reckon that would be amazing if he did do that. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's fascinating, and I mean, and you know, I, and I can, um, you know, I can accept that. Well, not accept, but I can see and I can understand where maybe some of this ignorance and lack of understanding is coming from. Uh, I think the kind of Marxist thing, as discussed, is just a sort of is a convenient kind of cover. However, when you've got the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel herself, a daughter of Ugandan Indian migrants to the UK, who would have experienced and understood in a lived experience, and also had conversations with the parents about this kind of stuff. I'd I'd expect her to be more understanding, but just to say it's a performative gesture seems quite dismissive.
0: Yeah. um, And it's one dismissive and two, I mean, to me, it shows a lack, a real lack of understanding for the culture. Um, The question is, Has she been exposed to some of the comments and remarks made to some of these individuals which have been in the public eye? Again, I go back to Tyrone Mings, the kind of monkey chants and things like that. Uh, And I was speaking to another friend of mine and client, Rolando, who had also been subject to racism whilst at work. That's Rolando Ahrens, who used to play for Newcastle. Yeah, on this occasion was by his. It wasn't Newcastle, but it was by his own fans whilst he was out on loan. And you know, as a as a black person myself, I've been subject to it just walking out and about, being in the city centre, being out on a night out or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I, and I, and I think that within a football
1: context, I guess what makes
0: this so remarkable
1: is that we have seen and and there's been many examples of different forms of racism which have changed and developed over the years to players from the opposition's team but when we've got this English situation at the moment it's the the booming is directed to their own players yeah. and that seems quite unique yeah. to me uh, you know, um, I
0: can't, I mean I said, phew, just think about it if England get to the uh, euro final and Marcus Rashford hmm. scores Tyrone Mings scores a player of color scores and they win or they you know they score the winner and they celebrate bam um, and they take the knee what does an England fan do? Do they cheer? Are they or are they gonna? Are they gonna? Are they now gonna boo? Where do they sit? What are they gonna yeah. do? Because yeah. if, you know, if you turn around and cheer, you're now being ignorant.
1: Yeah. So, and also a hypocrite. Is there an argument to say be consistent with your racism?
0: Again, you know, if you don't
1: like me, you don't like me. You can't suddenly start cheering me the next minute. I mean, in, in some regard, you almost got more respect for that because there's there's some there's some consistency and honesty well, to yeah, it. There's that.
0: I mean, oh, I, 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 Maybe I've got thick skin, but after time, I think some people are just booing because someone else is booing. They don't, they don't actually know the yeah. why behind what they're doing. They, it's just oh,
1: joining in with the crowd. yeah. It's, it's yeah. now fat.
0: Oh, they're booing. It's fashionable now to boo.
1: Just stop the chat there for two minutes and tell you about Bristol Cable. Most of you probably know. If anyone new listening, Bristol Cable is a cooperative and is a membership organisation, which means you can join and you pay a bit of money. It can be anything from a pound to. £20 a month whatever you feel you want to pay and you get to contribute go to meetings to decide what the kind of things we cover how we cover it and be involved in um, the media and hopefully making it better for everybody in the city Let's talk about the players Let's talk about the, um, some of the players you work with. Have you had conversations, when well, you, just, you just relayed a story about Rolando Irons? You know, you've worked with, um, particularly, I would say, from the West Country, but a lot further than that, but you know, all the prominent black players at a professional level um, in the last 10 years, you've probably worked with you know, to a lesser or certain degree. Um, you know, we're talking about Bobby Reid, Lloyd Kelly, players that have gone on to play at the top level. Have you had conversations with them about racism and about them experiencing racism when they play?
0: Have I had conversations? Yes. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a black man who has experienced racism as well. And some of the players that I've worked with are from a similar background to me or my upbringing. Uh, So there's a lot of things that I can relate with. Racism didn't start for them when they became a football player. Racism started for them way before that. Do you see what I mean? So they would have built up a threshold or a tolerance. But again, how do you, how do you really deal with your own fans, the people you're representing, booing you? I mean, some people can't handle their parents saying that they've had a bad game.
1: Takes a hell of a lot of resilience. Right. Doesn't it? It must take a hell of a lot of resilience. And the resilience that unless you've experienced it personally or directly, you probably people wouldn't fully understand.
0: Right. But if one of these players, and I've no disrespect to anybody else out there, but if one of these players had spoke up about mental health, oh, but that's now accepted. They're they're okay to represent that. If one of those players came out um homosexual, XYZ, um, Pride and everything, and everyone uh, that's okay, it's accepted. But at the moment, in football,
1: I'm not sure, I I think there's very few footballers that have come out. Yeah, in society, yeah, if it weren't in in football,
0: how quick would it be stamped out? Let's be brutally honest about it. People would be on it like a hot rock, you know, because it wouldn't, people wouldn't tolerate it. But now, people are finding, in my opinion, people are finding it difficult to relate to something they are very foreign with. And I'm sorry, a white person doesn't necessarily know what it feels like to be black unless you have grown around it. I've got friends that have come and played for me or grown up with me and said, oh, my word. They called me the N-word. I know they're like, I'm white. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> I've got friends that have said, honestly, I thought you lot were just moaning. This is embarrassing. I've got friends who've turned around and said, I actually feel uncomfortable right now with how these people are behaving because they're a representation of me. Yeah. Do you, you see yeah. what I mean? So the question okay, is, yeah. there are people out there. I mean, Magdy, you're from, you know, we've grown. We've seen each other for years. You've been within the community. There are people on the other side of the the city, the country, in communities not like ours, who yeah. couldn't relate at all. To them, these are wow stories. Yeah,
1: I mean, I remember distinctly uh, the first season when I uh, joined, because they brought a few players, players in Tottenham, uh, Mirrors of Port of Bristol, and we were in the County League. And then you didn't really have, so what am I talking about, ninety, ninety in 1991, when you didn't really have, um, you know, you had a sprinkling of black players, but you didn't really have a, a black, uh, predominantly black team and black managed team in the County League. So those that don't know, the Gloucester County League goes all the way up to Gloucester, Forest of Dean and all across the city. And uh, it was near the start of the season and we were playing a game up at Elwood, right in the Forest of Dean. And it, me and Martin Cyril were the only two white players in, in the Tottenham team. It was like going back to... I don't know like 40 years ago it was really really weird um it was like old fashioned blatant <laughs> kind of kind of prejudice I'd just never seen people like that in the forest or playing in the scene. and it and it was pretty full on uh, and I, it really yeah. dawned on me and me remember me I always remember this moment me and Martin looks at each other as like as if to say like bloody hell like what do we do <laughs> you know right yeah. And, you know, and, <laughs> right. and there's been a number of other incidents, you know, as you know, we've both played for Liebeck and, you know, it happens an awful lot at a kind of grassroots community level, at a, at a non-league level. So I think that's a really good point. When you, when, I, when I asked you that question, probably quite naively, actually, you know, what do you say? How do you talk to people like Lloyd and Bobby and Jan? You know, you know they've experienced this playing football, you know, from the age of 10. So by the time they yeah. get to a professional, if anything, it might even be slightly less than it would have been at a lower level or at a grassroots level, correct?
0: Correct. The, you know, there's inc- I'm, I'm, I'm aware of incidences where a parent is being racist to a, an opposition player just because he's having their, their, he's having a better game than their son. Like, so now you're going to resort to that language to try and put that player at a disadvantage or get in that player's head or upset that player or whatever the case may be. That's real immature. There's other strategies you could have taken. Why do you have to go there? Unfortunately, people know that somebody making remarks towards black people about the colour of their skin is going to come across racist. I haven't been in a situation myself where somebody has called a white person something and that white person goes, You're racist. How I've been exposed to it, a lot of white people doesn't don't even recognize racism unless it's directed at the black and ethnic minority community. Mm.
1: Well, it's it's a power. It's it's a, it's about it's about power, isn't it? And it's you know, I, I
0: I think that the I don't even I think it's what it used to be. I don't even think is that normal. It's just yeah. naivety, and you know, people they, they people have chosen that they yeah. they want to follow that trend, that fashion, and that that kind of historical yeah, behavior. I, I think I,
1: I think aligned to that, there is a trajectory of people that, that it's sort of polarizing. I've seen it in my community development work. You know. I've seen it through my own uh, experience of, of playing football. I've seen it from from coaching, being involved in a sport development in the city. I've seen how now there is a and and you must as a black person seen that where suddenly lots of institutions in the city, white institutions, I don't just mean sport, I kind of mean in general, are kind of rushing to embrace diversity, rushing to embrace uh anti-racism. And and probably were a bit slow to the party, I, and I'm maybe a bit cynical as to why they are, but they are a bit more now. So you've got people that are opposed to it, but there also is a a movement of I would say a, a white middle class organisations that are jumping on Black Lives Matter movements and stuff. You, would, would you Would you accept that?
0: Yeah, I would accept that. And I think I've had conversations about these kind of decisions and movements. Um, are they doing it to be trendy and be a part of the trend, or are they doing it? because it's heartfelt and it's you know they're, they're, you they're know actually behind mean? it yeah only only they only they know i mean i was talking to someone the other day about the the rooney rule yeah if i was the only black person in the room of very talented other people white people whatever the case may be and they needed that diversity um box ticked are they just going to pick me yeah or are they going to pick me and empower me because i was the best in the room do you see know what I mean? I was the best candidate for the job because that's ultimately that's what we want. Don't just give it to me now because I'm black.
1: Yeah yeah it's not about that. Let's talk about the Rooney rule. so some some people may not know what that is because I want to talk about not just about players. So I think it's like forty five to fifty percent of players in in the professional football in the four divisions in this country now are black and ethnic minority, and if you juxtaposition that to the amount of managers and the amount of backroom staff and also the and the boardroom, you're talking barely in single digit percentages, one or two percent. So there's still a huge problem off the field uh, in terms of representation. The Rooney rule is something that's been brought in by the Football League. It's not been brought in by the Premier League yet, which is basically that for every coaching role or every behind-the-scenes role at a football club, there has to be at least one candidate from a BME background being interviewed, which the reason they call it the Rooney rule is because it came from the NFL in America. Um, some people would say that that is a little bit of a tokenist, positive discrimination, patronising thing. Do you think it is
0: or is it a positive? I, I personally feel that it's patronizing um, okay. because you're making that slot available to me. And because that slot's available, is there a criteria on that spot? How fair is fair?
1: Yeah.
0: Do you see what I mean? Um, like just because that spot's available, it's not going to change that statistic you were talking about. It just means that somebody got interviewed and now if they like i said earlier if they needed to tick that box of diversity they they could just you know i don't want you just to bring me in because um you needed to tick a box i want you to bring me in for the qualities i can bring to the organization the the club the team or whatever the case may be um you know i'm passionate about what i do and I'm, others are out there passionate about what they, what what they do and they're going to want to push that passion and you know they got they've they've got their own ambitions and But is that make. not
1: also is that also because more often than not, not exclusively, but more often than not, the person that's making the decision is usually still white. So it might be done out of some weird, sort of odd, odd, slight kind wow. of white guilt panic, which is, oh, God, we need, you know, when actually if you had somebody that was black or you had somebody that was Asian, or you had somebody that maybe was white but came from a, an area community, like you said earlier, is that grew up side by side around black and ethnic F- minority people that had a more of an understanding, they would, they wouldn't need to overreach like that because they would be doing it anyway. They would be identifying people from those communities because they recognize right. the value right. and the contribution and the quality that's already there. Uh, and that's yeah, the arguments I've had. I've had a lot of those arguments with, with people where it's that until you start changing in people in positions of power and influence that at the very least have an understanding of this stuff it is only going to be what I call decorative diversity, devoid of real, true meaning. And it only shifts, and it can only shift in football when you've got more people that have that understanding in the football clubs behind the scenes. Um, would you say in this city, I mean, a conversation me and you have had, or, you know, away from recording many a times before, that, and I could, I could handbick and name a dozen, probably double that, players who I grew up around or I've known from the inner city communities where we grew up that should have been a professional footballer. And uh, my question to you is, traditionally speaking, uh, and maybe we can see those some changes that have been made in recent times, which we'll get on to, but traditionally speaking, have both our Bristol professional football clubs uh, failed to um, attract and keep um, young black players in the city and not exclusively young black players, young players from in a city that, that predominantly are black. So
0: yeah, in this city, I feel, and it depends on where, we're, what stage we're, we're talking about, because there are some that are within the, both of the organizations, but how many then transition to making a career out of it or not? Personally, I feel Bristol Rovers have the upper hand there, and look to empower and look to get involved and engaged with the community, local communities uh, in and around. Uh, I don't, I don't feel Bristol City do enough there. I feel that there could be some more relationships that they can build with people, with other organisations, with other external coaches. And there's a lot in the city that do fantastic work um, to to support. These, when you say external coaches, you
1: mean black. people that are running local clubs in Eastern St. Paul's or in the area that could have a closer connection with the clubs? Yeah, you're
0: watching kids from Bristol go to Birmingham City, go to Chelsea, um, having missed the football that's on their doorstep. I mean, you, you, you need to ask yourself why. I mean, I, I, I don't think Chelsea are scouting in parks. Do, do you see what I mean? But these kids are obviously yeah. good enough to have been signed or... Transitioned onto clubs at that level, so you know uh, what, yeah. what what's what's the clubs in Bristol doing wrong? And so
1: these what's are been, that... what's been the issue then. What's been the issue then as to why that is? I mean, I wrote an article, funny enough for the, for the Bristol Cable, which this obviously this podcast is for, probably about five six years ago. I, I analyzed the the diversity at both clubs, and it was minuscule. Um, so my sort of question was that, having worked with young people before, you know, for a long time are you equipped enough to deal with the challenges and some of the issues that some of these young people may well have, not just about football, but personally and socially coming into a football club? Because, you know, are you equipped to have the pastoral support that these boys need or these girls need to get to a professional level?
0: One of one of my biggest things is football is something that they love to do great. But the one thing that they must love most in themselves um, how you can empower them to be the best for themselves, they may have fallen out of football, lost their way not not sure on what direction to take, but football 's their outlet and we 're trying to utilize football health, fitness, or whatever the case may be to bridge and rebuild that individual so that they can find their path in, 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 in their direction in life. Do you see what I mean whether they are a professional footballer and they 're out of favor. We're looking at supporting them and just realigning them back to what the goals are, what they, and providing them with that that roadmap in a manner in which they can speak to somebody who relates to them and understand the process which is delivered to them, which is relatable. Whereas some of these organizations, Bristol City, Bristol Rover, some of the organizations, some of these kids don't or these young adults don't have many things that support them to relate to. So they don't necessarily understand how that pathway is going to be or how that pathway needs to be executed to or X, Y, Z. You know, we're out here, we provide these roadmaps, provide these strategies. Um, I mean, I win because the boys go away and the girls go away and say, I had a great time. I don't get the millions that they get sold for. Like, you know, that goes to their clubs or whatever not. These guys then go on to hopefully make a lifestyle change, a change for their family, uh the economy change within their communities and stuff like that. That that's that's the wider picture that a lot of people don't necessarily see. Do you see what I mean? They they just they see the glitz and the glam, but actually
1: But you would be aware of the pitfalls when somebody when somebody jumps and gets released from a club or somebody's struggling to adapt to being away from home or somebody that, and they haven't got that support system around them, or they may have some kind of issues, or that might be football related, or it might be social related. Because you know the pitfalls, you're able to support them, give them the platform, the confidence to go back in. You have had some players, I think, um, including your own brother, actually, Scott, that's you know gone out of the league and have gone back in. What do you do to sort of turn the corner for them?
0: Yeah, some of, some of or them have followed our guidance. It's not just me; there's a, te- a team of us. But they've they followed our guidance and they've decided to go to uni and really make a hard graft of football. And, you know, on completion of uni or at some stage, they've managed to acquire a degree so they've got a plan A or B. And then footballers started to go to the heights that they wanted. And now all of a sudden they're like, right, I'm living my dream again and I've got a backup plan. You see what I mean? You know, some of these other footballers, they get to a certain age and they're like, okay, how many more yeah. deals have I got left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these deals need—I need—I've got this lifestyle now. I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. Or oh, what's next for me? What uh, you know? Football clubs—how yeah. h- how much of them are concerned on the what's next? How many of them talk about their one becoming a star electrician or blah? Do you see what I mean? Like, what's next? If they're not going to be the next manager, or the next coach, or the ambassador of the club, what is next for them? How many then go on in administration roles? How many go on to marketing roles? Or just, just
1: you know what I mean? tricky, isn't it? Well, it's a short even I know that from you know personally, but also, you know, seeing players of my generation that really struggled when they were released by football clubs because they had no plan B and you know were sort of struggled financially and also struggled in their own kind of ego that, you know, when you go when you're in name. And you no, you no longer are. It's, that's difficult adjustment. I think maybe younger players now, are, are, you know, are, are obviously on better money than when my my age people were kind of breaking through. So at the end of that career, as you say, how can you suddenly go from earning that kind of money and then thinking, right, well, what am I going to do? You know, at thirty, thirty three, thirty four, at tops usually most yeah, players, yeah. that's the end of their career, isn't it?
0: So that's the end of their football career. That's not the end of their career. Their life still continues.
1: But if you haven't got a plan B, it makes it more difficult to make that transition, doesn't it?
0: Oh, correct, correct, correct.
1: Um, Let's talk about the Euros, Rayon, because one person that is relevant to this conversation we're having, and I don't know if you've worked with him at any point. Um, I played with his dad, actually, or sorry, against his dad when his dad was at Bath City. Tyrone Mings uh, played in the opening game, which England won against Croatia. He's a local lad from Bath. He he was playing for Yate Town, Chippenham Town. And got picked up by Bournemouth, not picked up by Bristol Rovers and City. Subsequently moved to Aston Villa, and now he's playing in the Euros for,
0: for England. Why did we miss out on him? It's a good question. Why did we miss out on him? Because he played against Bristol Rovers a handful of times when he was at Millfield. I know because I was there. I watched him. do You see know what I mean? And I knew I've known Tyrone for quite a long time. I played for his dad. Um, I have worked with him. He's a great. He's a great lad you know so why did the how how did the city miss out on him unfortunately somebody's got to make a decision and i understand that and if he's not the kind of profile that fits the excuse me the the going trend and that's what football tends to do it it, it often replaces what they had with yeah. okay we we're now going to lose a Roberto Carlos can we find the next Roberto Carlos why yeah. can't you just find the next best left back yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Didier Drogba's on his way out. Okay, we need another Didier Drogba. Yeah. Look at that. Like, Romelu Lukaku was compared to Didier Drogba. Look at Romelu's record. Yeah. He shouldn't have been compared to anyone other than Romelu. Lukaku, <laughs> yeah. But Chelsea wanted another Was there an issue
1: with Mings? Was was the, the argument was that he was a bit gangly and a bit awkward and he'd not physically filled out and maybe didn't look as composed and was a bit of a late developer, would that be sort of fairer because you do find that we you know we I've played with players that suddenly that you know at nineteen twenty they just come from nowhere and just burst through they're maybe a bit bigger or physical, or would that have been fair? I mean I didn't see him play at that age when you saw him did you think there's a future England international
0: I mean no, you don't often look at some of these lads and think oh there's a future England international per se unless they have exceptional talent um but you will be looking at an individual and say, okay, he or she's got these work-ons, he or she's got these work-ons. Once they're exposed to certain environments that stretch them, how well can they then adapt? Yeah. It's at that stage you can start to say, okay, what level can this person get to? What level can that person get to? But if they're not in an environment to challenge and adapt them, you can't expect to see the growth. So if Tyrone's in an environment which he found too easy, you're not going to see too much growth because you're going to see it as too easy. And I'm sorry, as a centre-back, you're not going to get groundbreaking performances. He's at centre-back. He's not scoring all the goals. He's not dribbling through the team. He's not showing how technical his feet can be. It's just not a glamorous position.
1: Unless you saw me playing in the late 80s, early 90s, which, which was akin to, to a young Beckham bar, Bobby Moore. Well, yeah. no?
0: no comment on that one, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, no comment. No, okay, all right. Okay, no comment. Um, so, so obviously, you know, he, you know, whether he keeps his place is going to be interesting to see when um, when uh, Maguire comes back. Do you? Um, how 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 far do you see England going, Rail? Do you think they can go all the way with the young players they've got? It must be quite encouraging to see, you know, the attacking flair. The the technical ability, which we haven't always had in this country, we've always been a little bit behind the curve and gone for big, strong players that don't adapt to international. Finally, we seem to have got it right in terms of our coaching. There's a number of young players coming through. You look at that England team: people like Mount, people like Grealish, like Sancho, Rashford. uh, You you know, there, there are. You know, there are. um, We've got technicians now, haven't we, that we've
0: never had before? So, how far can we go? We've got a talented group. How far can we go? If you know, if, for me personally, we'll get out of the group stages, possibly semi-finals. I can't see us going any further than that. I think they're stronger nations right now, but I would be generally um, excited for this current squad in the next World Cup. Yeah, they would have had more time to gel, more time to bond, a little bit more maturity. Yeah, I think That's a good point. Do you know? Do you know? Like the next yeah. world, in the World Cup, that's when I want to see these yeah. boys shine. Putting too much pressure on them now. Where they were quite a fresh group, quite a young group. Some of them have never been at this stage. If they go out and get us to the semis, they've done an absolute amazing job. If they go out and you know they, they wear the shirt with pride, I actually feel they've done an amazing job. Look at the the last World Cup. How Belgium had that strong team. That's what I think England will be. You'll have Jaden Sancho at, yeah. at, a, at a peak almost. You'll have Rashford uh, at a peak. You'll have Harry. You'll have all Lem, uh, Harry Kane. You know. You know, whether it's Maguire, whether it's Chill, the group would have matured, yeah. gelled, and I believe potentially be one of the strongest England groups I've seen.
1: The, one of the reasons for that, Rayon, has to be because of the changes. I remember I was involved in all the England school stuff when you had like Charles Hughes with the FA um, and it was all big, you know, based on the sort of Graham Taylor, Howard Wilkinson, long ball, route one stuff. We used to select big, strong players. Uh, we would always dominate under 15, under 18, under 19 level. Suddenly you'd get to under 23 level or you'd get international level. And and we wouldn't, you know, other than the occasional 1990. 90, we we never have done. You, you go back and you think of players like Gascoigne, Joe Cole. You know, you know, we didn't get many technicians, whereas now there's so many. And that must have been the influence, and I'm going to ask you about this, that must be the influence of lots of um, overseas, uh, foreign, continental coaches coming into the game. And the FA finally kind of learning and listening to some of the other FAs, you know, the Spanish FA, the German FA, the French FA, building on and changing the coaching badges, creating um, small-sided football, stopping competitive football under the, under the age of 11, I think, Um making pitches smaller, goals smaller. All that stuff, I think, is finally coming home to Roost now because this plan was sort of set in place maybe 10 years ago, maybe not quite that, maybe seven, eight years ago. So we're seeing the first generation of the changes in uh, in in coaching in this country, I believe. And that has to be a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think the direction in which we're going, well, I'd like to say we're starting to form our own identity. We're not just following the successes of somebody else's um, success. You know, you, you look at what Germany do. Yeah, let's mimic the Germans. You look at what Spain do. Oh, let's play tick attacker. Look at what the so-and-so do. Let's try this. Look at what the Brazilians do. Let's do a step over. Now we're starting to actually formulate and build on a strategy which is, like you say, which is it, it, it's harvesting the next generation. I think Gareth Southgate has been amazing for that um, in supporting and in, in buying into the younger talents and, you know, him coming through the England kind of development system as well, I think has been crucial because it means that he's been able to have some significant influence and make some significant changes. And, you know, there's a pool of talent in England. If we can fall to our own way instead of following someone else's way, I think we can get success in the, in the near future. Um, I, I do believe potentially may, maybe the, this Euros maybe may be slightly too early
1: he has come through, hasn't he? So for those that don't know, you know, Southgate's obviously come through as a player played in tournaments that helps, but he's come through the FA system by managing the under 21s taking, you know, would have worked with some of these young players before. Traditionally, what's, often happened you know we tried it with capello to, to you know we tried it with ericsson which you know didn't go great in the end but actually you know if you look at the what's happened since it was probably more successful than people realize but often the fa have sort of panicked you know they did it with allardyce and then obviously allardyce left after a game whereas what they've you know what they've done now is they've invested in somebody that understands the culture and, and this sort of ties it all back nicely actually i don't know if you had a chance to read the statement that Safegate gave that i don't think he is just a a modern manager, technically, I think he can be a bit defensive at times. I'd like to see him a bit more expansive, but I think he is a he is a man who fits the modern game and has a strong relationship with modern footballers and the needs that they that they that they have. And I think his statement about taking the knee and Black Lives Matter, you wouldn't have found an, a previous England manager having such sensitivity, dexterity, intellectual understanding of the issue. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, and, I, and I felt that that was a, a sea change for the FA.
0: I often, you know, I often compare um, Gareth Southgate's approach to like that PE teacher that loved you because you were good at your sport type of person. So they <laughs> they were willing to understand and they yeah. empathised and they diss and they put their arm around you. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and he has that kind of.
1: Yeah, I do. I know exactly yeah, what you He mean. has yeah. that kind
0: of calmness to his approach. I'd be interested to see him lose his rag, but he has that calmness to his approach. Bringing on the, this new generation of player, I think, actually fits into his persona and his kind of methodology and ethos.
1: Yeah. That's the last thing, just to say, on his statement, the the, the, the statement he made, making it clear we will be taking the knee throughout the the whole tournament, and his rationale and the way it explained it was just done in such a classy way that I think that was sort of symptomatic of all the stuff you've just described, of yeah. his style of management. A yeah, modern man for a modern yeah, game.
0: I haven't I haven't read his statement um, and I'm interested to read it. So now you've just told me that I'm going to go away and read it because I can imagine him one saying that. And <laughs> I, there's, there's, there's 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 people who say it just to say it and there's people who say it with meaning. And I could only but imagine what that, that team talk would have been like at the end of the game. Lads, put that behind you. We'll deal with that. Let's focus on the next game. We're all in this together. We're with you. Blah blah blah. Do you see what I mean? Like he's he yeah, I really I, I really do respect his approach yeah. and, you know, him as a man. So yeah.
1: Great. Agreed. And let, let's um, let's wrap it up as you say. I know I know you're busy to see to see to your family. The final thing I just want to say before I go is I I now my you know I've got getting the metal taken out my knee. Uh, and you know I'm ready for the for you to support me back to action, almost like a comeback as great as sort of Pirlo for for Juventus. Pretty sure.
0: Uh, um, England. When do we start? Yeah, England vets are looking for a centre off so let's get to work, mate.
1: That's it. That's that's the focus. So next time we record in a year's time, <laughs> I will probably have my first England veterans cap. <laughs> Top man, Rayon. Uh, thank you Top ever so man. much. Appreciate it. And we'll, um, we'll chat soon. All the best. We will catch you up soon. Yeah. Top man. Cheers, magazine. Cheers. So that's it. Thanks to Rayon Wilson from Back to Action. Next week, it's all about Pride Month. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Mags. And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes and if you want to support what we're doing join the bristol cable along with 2000 others to create a new kind of media for the city